This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. City Chronicles is a Mayor Chronicles production. <laughs> Welcome to the Steady Out Chronicles podcast with me, Mina Rizuki. And as always, I am joined by the, the sunshine, uh, <laughs> you know, the lady who brings all the happiness, uh, which is a nice, you know, juxtaposition to all my negative clouds. It is Nikki Bandini. <laughs> she's such a liar. She's such a liar. I was talking about this with someone the other day, Mina. Um, oh, yeah. And about, about the fact that, like, I feel like we're sort of slightly um yang. a funny pair because like i'm much bigger than you and and also <laughs> like when like we come in places i always feel like you're super glam and you like always look so well put together and i come in like a bag of rags but yeah. like i i i feel like um i feel like you just make me laugh so much all the time so like even though that might be like the external appearance of it actually i think you're every bit as much uh, the sunshine and the laughter as well, because um, I'm always falling about when you're around. No, hon, that's because we're both Leas. <laughs> I believe so much in star signs. <laughs> so, I think that's the. Um, I think we have just very big characters, so it, it, it's quite funny. But yeah, we do have like a a nice yin yang. <laughs> I'm always eating when I come in. <laughs> you're always looking at me like. Uh, also. You know, I'm actually older than Nikki, but I feel like Nikki takes care of me. So it's quite Aww. sweet like that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's who we are. And um, uh, I hope, I was going to say what, like, I hope you guys can enjoy listening to us. I'm starving and I've just like stuffed myself with chocolate before the show started. <laughs> and um, yeah, now I've run out and have to wait till the end of the show before I can actually get some real food. This is the suffering we go through for you guys on Mondays. People don't realize we work really hard. Like genuinely, I think both Mina and I have really busy Mondays. So we do quite often sort <laughs> yeah. of rush to get this podcast in. It's like, oh God, no one stop for lunch. Let's just go, go, go. But it's worth it. It's worth it to talk culture. Yeah. And then Nikki's got to take a train tonight. 
we've got to take a train tonight to come all the way to where I am so that we could do another show tomorrow. Sky Sports in the UK. Yeah, we've only mentioned it on here, but have we? We do Sky Sports news every, every Tuesday at the moment. Yeah. And uh, maybe we might just be a more permanent fixture in days to come. We'll see. We'll see. Everyone seems to um, love the yin and yang. It's been a really exciting week because Nikki's interviewed Stefano purely. We've had like an amazing week of get well. Actually, it wasn't an amazing weekend of games because let's start off with the big match that was supposed to blow us all out the water. And I thought, oh, how exciting. Yay. We're going to see what, you know, Juventus are like. They're going to take on Milan at San Siro. It's going to be a, a fun game to watch. And maybe, just maybe, Stefano Pioli, after what, 18 tries, can actually beat Massimiliano Allegri. And it was really dull. But some people think, oh, it was a nice tactical battle. I get that. But for me, I was like, yeah, I'm over this. Yeah, it's so funny. Like I was um I was sort of looking for this game and I was thinking, well, Pioli hasn't beaten Allegri in, in 18 meetings, but Juventus haven't beaten any of the teams above them in the table so far this season, right? Like they hadn't beaten Atlanta, Inter, Napoli, or um Milan in in five games, I think, so far this season. And so, like in my head, it was like a well, something has to give this weekend. Except it didn't. It turned out it didn't. Like nothing had to give. Nothing had to happen at all for ninety minutes. We just sat there and waited for anything to happen, and mostly it didn't. It was it was a really disappointing game, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about Piotti in a bit. Like I had a really fascinating conversation with him, and I really really enjoyed him. So it was such a contrast between you know real sort of a sense of an individual and then this sort of realization that doesn't matter here as individual. Like you don't get to, I say it's like a realization, like I didn't know that this is how the world works, but you, you know where I'm coming from. Like, you know, that, that even a good manager who's up against another good manager, by the way, like can't, can't magic a, a football game to their will. And, and I think Juventus got more what they wanted from this game. I think Max Allegri came to the game with a, a strategy that has been serving him pretty well recently, which is safety first, make sure that everything is very tight at the back, even if you've got Daniel Edogani back there, who, by the way, had a great game. Yeah, I know. I've been so mean about the guy. (laughs) And, but no, credit, credit. Yeah. And, and that was the plan and it worked, you know, Juventus have kept, I can't think how many it is now. They've kept something like um, eight clean sheets in 12 games. I think it is like they're keeping clean sheets. And sometimes that is able to be combined with a bit more attacking ambition than what they showed here because here there was a real lack of it but I don't know I think I think for me what is going to be like my lasting feeling about this game is you know Mina like it's it's the second half of the season now so we're, we're not at the business end quite yet but we're getting towards it right and it's second against fifth and both teams like coming into it, it's like quite big moments you know you and Milan need to keep up with Inter top Juventus need to 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 make that push on and get into the top four and it's at San Siro and it, and it should be like one of those great Sunday nights in the season that you just relish. And instead you've got San Siro with 
5,000 fans in because of the, the COVID regulations that are there right now at the moment, which takes away a huge part of the atmosphere. You've got a potato field of a pitch where they've played six games in 12 days, which was just a hideous pitch. They literally played a game the day before in Tepe there. And then you get a game of football that, that for me was, I don't know, it just wasn't the spectacle that I was hoping it would be, I suppose. You're right. I think that there is a lot to talk about this from Milan's point of view and their home form. And I do think that they were, um, it was a, a terrible pitch that was going to harm them a lot more because they are a team that relies a lot on fluidity and, and beautiful passing. Um, let's say a lot more than Juventus do at least. Um, but in their last seven home matches, they've only won twice. So it's almost like, do you remember we talked a lot about this last season? We noticed that Milan was still good away from home and they sort of rectified this issue at the start of the season. And then now it's like, almost going back to the average of them being poor again at San Siro. So I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Like you said, it could be that, that you know, there's obviously an issue with the pitch that they're going to re make sure they work on and have it nice and beautiful for the big derby when we come back from the international break. There's obviously things to look into there in the sense that what Zlatan hasn't scored um, since September, it was taken off 28 minutes later, still sort of the guy they depend on. This is the thing with Milan. I feel like they are such a good team, but sometimes when the stakes are high and you need to level up, I don't know if they quite manage it in that same, in the same way that sort of other teams do. Like Juventus are pretty hideous and they haven't beaten anyone in the top, but they do try to level up. It's just that they don't have enough. You know, they will try to to win against Chelsea or something like that. But Juventus, like Milan, with everything that they have and the beauty of their game and their strategy and and tactical identity. I am disappointed with some of their performances in the Champions League. I'm disappointed with some of their performances in the league and, you know, in front of their own fans. But, I'm, you know, this is a young squad and they don't have the type of individuals perhaps others can rely on. But I'm more interested in talking, obviously, because in this sense, I'm going to do something that I rarely, rarely do because I am the president of Max Allegri's fan club. Um, or, or if I'm not, I should definitely be appointed one. <laughs> yeah. You know how much I value this human being as, as everything. I think he is such an intelligent man more than I think that he's a great coach. He's just, he's wonderful. And the way that he talks really pulls you in and he's so charismatic when it comes to like talking about football. Um, I was very happy with him coming back and I've been somewhat happy with the way that he is trying to deal with this, you know, this whole risk of us. I get it. But now I just feel like it's getting a little bit tedious because there is obviously a problem. Dybal is playing as a centre-back in order to try to get the ball to produce. <laughs> yeah, like, as in at this point, I don't know how far. Yeah, yeah, it's like one of those, you know, where like, if you guys watch Friends and there's an episode where they play like um, um, American football and they're like, go long to Rachel. Like, oh, I feel like the Phoebe has, Yeah, or Phoebe, so yeah. <laughs> Just I think it's Phoebe, I can't yeah. remember sometimes, that's all right. Or is it Rachel? Re- re- it might be Rachel, it might be Rachel, you might be right, yeah, yeah, I can't remember. pretty bad at it. And I just feel like Dybal is going long because no one can get the ball up the field for Paul Morata or for anyone in the air. You know, you've got McKenny trying to make runs. Honey, there's no ball, so what are you making runs for, yeah? So it's mm. like Dybal is going all the way back to try to get the ball up the field, yeah? And you just think to yourself, there's obviously a tactical mismatch because you can't, Morata is just simply never going to be like a Lukaku or that kind of figure that can play on his own and hold up the defense. He is the kind who presses from the front. He's a lot about mobility. 
You know that. You've spoken about that. This is what you love about Morata. You can't just stick him up there and hope he's going to do something. He's not that kind of striker. So you need the ball. And once again, you bring on Arthur, but you take off Locatelli. Like, if you don't have the midfield possessing the ball, then all these players become un- unable to produce a shot on goal. What, since, since 2019, Juventus haven't gone through a game without producing a single shot on target. And they've got Dybala, and they've got Morata, and they've got Rages from midfield, like they like to call them, you know? Like, and you bring on Kulusevsky. It's bizarre. And you're not up against like Tomori and Kayet, right? So it, it's, it comes to a time where, you know, where Allegri joked, oh, well, if you want goals, then bring in Landucci. Well, yeah, maybe we should at this point, you know, <laughs> because Landucci got us four goals against Hamdoria. Landucci got us the comeback win against Roma. I'm not saying to you that he's obviously the man, but maybe try to possess the ball and allow for, for like Arthur was very good when he came on. Maybe he would have been even better with Locatelli. And Locatelli, when you watch him against Tonali and you and you see how far below he is, and it's almost like having a Ronaldo in midfield, not quite, because it's not of that level, obviously, but telling him you can only express this much of your potential, which is 30%. Why not? You have Locatelli, one of the best midfielders of the Italian national team. Like, use him to his advantage. Bring him in with somebody that can also direct the game. I, I don't want to take away because I think McKenney's been brilliant. I thought Ben Tenkel was very good in this match, you know. But it is, I do feel like tactically, Allegri is not doing enough to unbutton and unleash a forward line. And he's actually making it very, very stale. Now, the other issue I have with this, and I'm sorry I'm talking for a long time, is just on a psychological level, Allegri is acting as if like, okay, well, we have to be so humble. And I get that, right? Because you don't want to be in a place of superiority where you feel like you're running away with it. Yeah. Uh, the way, anyway, I, I won't mention them except Napoli. But anyway, like, let's work hard. Let's keep working one hard. Fight time, one fight at a time. One fight at a time. Yeah, one fight at a time. But I do think by him always accepting sort of, oh, well, it's me now. So, uh, uh, you know, it's good we've kept them only seven points away and and all of these matches of not winning against the big guys, of not actually like pushing the team to outscore Milan, to do more than they can. On a psychological level, I was very angry when Antonio Conte once said in the Champions League, it's between us and Galatasaray for second place. And I said, I, I don't like a coach like that to be in charge of Juve. I don't want a coach like Allegri who thinks it's okay to be, you know, subpar and to, to accept Milan's dominance. You are the coach of Juventus. So you are never not with a team that has the salary or the players or the staff or the directors that you guys have. Should you ever accept a nil-nil or even a draw with anyone, anyone that you face, including Chelsea. And the fact that you're talking with such a, well, what can we do? This is starting to bother me because on a psychological level, you are giving your players an excuse to be mediocre because you are not being just mediocre. You are allowing for the mediocrity to consume you. And that for me, I'm very angry with Allegri right now. Over to you. Oh God, there's a lot to come, there's a lot to, to respond to. It's funny you're talking about, there's so many things in my head right now. Are you talking about uh, liking Allegri? It's <laughs> the most ridiculous uh, uh, <laughs> story I'm going to share with you. But um, when I interviewed him one time at a Ventus's training uh, base, I, I don't know why this is like stayed in my head as like a, 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 like a, a nice act of, of, of politeness, but like in Italian, the word for discourage 
is extremely similar to the word for fart. It's scoraggiato instead of scoraggiato. <laughs> and I was interviewing him and I tripped up over those two words and talked about oh, him no. feeling about him farting instead of him feeling discouraged. <laughs> and his his laugh, but also like the the sort of like smoothness with which he didn't make me feel awkward about it. I always appreciated. That's my personal uh, Allegri anecdote for everybody. <laughs> Scoraggiato is very similar to Scoraggiato. They're very similar words. They really are. I, I, I'm with you though, Mina. Um, I, I really thought that like there were some extraordinary things set up to this game as this off now. You, I'm, I think I'm obsessed with press conferences in Italy. They always seem to be more entertaining <laughs> than the ones anywhere else. I, you know, I thought it was interesting because, uh, of course, um, Piotti was asked about, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. And he said, glass half empty, but not for this game. He said, actually, I you know, glass half empty, really, because of the Spezia game. And and again, he sort of, he's, he's tried to be really magnanimous. That's something that we talked about in the interview, that like, is that human error, things happen. We got, but like, you could see that the, the, the three points dropped there really eating at him. Whereas he was saying, look, it's in the end, the draw with the events is fine. What hurts is the loss to Spezia. But Allegri said, my glass is completely full. And then I said, know. what you were just alluding to, like this extraordinary, I read the extraordinary comment about keeping the gap to Milan at seven points. And look, I mean, the newspapers picked up on this. So it's not an original thought from me, but the idea that a Juventus manager should be talking about a seven point gap to Milan, maintaining it being good in your head, like that should be like Juventus, like recent Juventus, that's when Juventus is seven points ahead of Milan, right? Like maintaining the gap is what you say when you're ahead of them. When you're behind a team saying, oh, it's good, we've kept that seven point gap. When also, you know, by the way, Italy uses head-to-head results to decide tiebreakers. So it's not just seven points now. They've lost the tiebreaker to Milan if they end up on on points because of, of uh, away goals get used in it as well. So it's, you know, it's, it's all these little sort of things that, that feel lacking in ambition. Having said that, Mina, you know, to, to, to sort of just to frame it from the other side for a second, this season started really, really badly really badly. So I think there's, there's two ways that you can look at what's happening right now. One is, am I comparing it to Pirlo last season? If I'm comparing it to Pirlo last season, is there really the progress in the big picture we expected? I don't know. You, you, can, you can have that conversation for me. But if you're comparing where you went on now to the start of the season, I mean, it's better, isn't it? It's better. They're, they're, they're not losing games. And well, is it nine games unbeaten? As I said before, they've got the eight clean sheets and 12 games. Is this well, yeah, what you I had mean, to do? In the first 10 games, they conceded 13 goals. In the last 11, they've conceded six. So we know that on a and defensive like half level. And like those against Roma. Like take out the Roma game, it's even, it looks even, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And, and also, can I just say on, on, a, on a matter of defense, yeah. Do you not think, you know, like when you have a star player, like, I don't know, like Paolo, Paolo, Fabio Cannavaro, <laughs> yeah. Like when you have that guy, it's like whoever you stick next to him just, just works. It just becomes like the world's greatest defender. Gellini's that guy. Like he makes Bonucci the best version of Bonucci, you know? And yesterday with Rugani, I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> like Rugani was like, He was wow. good. He had a good game. Yeah, he was really good. I mean, the guy was shutting things down. He was anticipating. His speed of thought was faster than I usually remember it to be. So I was like, Whoop. you know, Gellini is that guy, you know? It, it's interesting. And he plays with such... It's true, like the enthusiasm of a kid. But listen, I, I, I honestly don't. I, it is better. Obviously, it's better. At least defensively, there's more rhythm and all of this. But 
for me, I don't know whether he's just trying to lock down his little, because he's a perfectionist in, in, in the whole team's scheme. And so I don't know whether he's just trying to make sure Locatelli understands this or, or Quadrado understands this before then I can bring on the Arthur and, and keep them all there. I remember Inzaghi had, because he wanted to play all his best players and he was trying to figure out a way of making it balanced without losing like their defensive solidity. And it took a while until he finally had the courage to play everyone together. But I just feel like it's taking too long. And right now it's starting to harm Juventus more. It's not like Arthur and Locatelli are the answer and all of a sudden Juventus are going to win the Scudetto. I'm just saying like, there's not enough experimentation anymore. It's almost like we're just going to have to deal with, with this. And, I, and, and it's just getting worse on, on an attacking level. I mean, we know Juve can't score more than one goal unless they are under Landucci. But now it's a case of like in these big matches, they're not even managing shots on target or really anything of note. And, and I feel like for me, like Dybala, I, I don't, firstly, I get why he goes back to try to get the ball, but it's also like, this is pretty terrible. Like you are a guy who wants 10 million, but I don't get any excitement for you. All I'm sitting there is praying that Chiesa comes back quicker than six months. Because for me, when I see Chiesa on the sideline about to come in, I get excited. Do you get excited when Dybal is on the sideline about to come in? Well, I mean, not, not for a performance like this. And, and it, it begs the question, a performance like this, whose, whose decision is it that he's, that he's back as much as he was, because he was back a lot. Like, I mean, we joked about it, like, you know, half playing defense, he's back the whole time. And it's, it's funny, actually, because when we were talking about Rugani, we're back to my favorite post, post game remarks again. But the thing he said after the game, where he got asked, um, Rugani about, um, you know, Allegri had said some nice things about him, basically saying, oh, he'd done really well with like his timing, his positioning. And you sort of expect him to sort of say something nice back about Allegri, which actually he did afterwards. But his first response was like, Oh yeah, you know, I've got some great stuff from different coaches in my career, especially Maurizio Sarri. He sort of says, you think, oh God. <laughs> and then I, and when you said um, about Dybala, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, Dybala looked pretty good under Maurizio Sarri. So, I mean, I'm not thinking that anyone in Turin is, is harking for the days of a Sarri ball, but it's funny how we're talking about two players here who actually maybe did, um, you know, find some of their better attributes drawn out by a different manager. and. The thing with Sari and Dybala was always just like kicking him up the bum and saying, stay closer to goal, stay closer to goal. And whether or not that isn't something Allegri can do because of the tactics and the way he's approaching games, I'm not sure. But certainly that's something that has changed. Well, yeah, if you, if you want him to stay closer to goal, then you need to get the ball up there. And the only way you're going to get the ball up there is by playing two ball players and Arthur and Locatelli. That was the whole mm-hmm. point. Otherwise, you just do find that it's sort of, you know, McKenney's not going to be the guy or Rabio who's going to like, you know, manipulate the ball and dribble or any of these or any of these things. Or at least Bernadeschi helps out a little bit on that. Not that he's the world's greatest either, but there is a level of I feel sorry for Dybala because he does want the ball. But at the same time, I just think that you do this regardless of what the, the tactics are. You did this under Pirlo as well. Like you love to play as a centre back. Not the way that Mandzukic does, because Mandzukic likes to be a defensive player. But with Dybala, it is, yeah, it's annoying. But I guess it's also, I mean, we, we need to analyze it from Milan's point of view. Like, what is it that you think with San Siro? Like, I just don't get why their performances at home never match up to what they can produce away from it. Yes, there's, I mean, there's a few things here. Um, I think one of the things that clearly, you know, you can't get away from in this game is that it is 
impacted by Zlatan Ibrahimovic getting injured after 28 minutes and we haven't mentioned him yet. It's funny. I, I, I sort of actually have that in my head on the list of along with the, you know, the not having the fans there and, and, and the potato pitch, like things that you sort of expected from this game that didn't happen, right? Because Ibrahimovic was sort of talking, or at least had been talking all along ago about how the, 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 the big duels, the games against someone like Chiellini are the ones that keep him going. That's like what excites him. That's what makes football such a joy for him still. And, and that was a duel we were looking forward to. And who knows? I mean, I think that when I was sort of going back through the game afterwards, trying to sort of think, you know, what were the actually like, what were the, the closest things we had to sort of goal scoring chance in this game? Because it felt like even that was a bit of a reach. And I think there were in the second half, a couple of times when um, Teo Hernandez made those sort of big runs through that created a little bit of, of danger. Uh, there was um, the one nice cross for Solomakers that um, Giroud headed straight yeah. at Chesney. Um, and, and other than that, the main one is in the first half when Ibrahimovic does really excellent work with just a single touch as the pivot between Macias and Liao. And Liao gets a shot off from the edge of the area that I think was probably the toughest save that Chesney had to make, even though it was only a sort of a half chance for Liao in amongst a lot of defenders. So look, there's an impact of, of losing a, a forward like Ibrahimovic. Um, also, we can sort of turn that around and say, should you be relying on a, a 40-year-old who's been injured a lot? Obviously not. I certainly think that between the two teams, Milan were the team that showed more ambition, that created more goal-scoring chances. I think we can be fair to Milan and say that this is a team that was missing effectively a whole spine because it was without uh, Kia and Tamori and then in midfield, um, Nocessier and Benasseri coming on off the bench and, and, um, and, and sort of being just back from the Cup of Nations. So there's, there's mitigating circumstances, right? So I can give you all of these reasons as mitigating circumstances for Milan. But uh, the, the, the bigger point that you're making about performances at home, I think, I think it's, it's hard to pin down some of it. I think that the pitch is a factor, but it's, you know, the pitch is the same for both teams. I thought it was interesting the way Pioli talked about that after the game, because he said it's not an alibi. Um, but at the same time, in the same breath, he said, but um, sometimes a pitch like this means that you have to take an extra touch, have to take an extra pass. And I thought for the way that Milan play, I think the best when Milan are playing their best football, I think it is when they're playing at speed. It is when they sort of go a little bit breakneck, when Leao is given that that sort of head of steam running at people when Teo Hernandez is running at people with head of steam and, and, you know, Macias and, and whoever else ends up behind the attack as well. So I think maybe there is something in another pitch would suit them better. In the end, I think you probably can point a little bit of the same thing at both teams though, which is Ibrahim, which scores a lot of goals and, and is a, a good player and a valuable player still for them at that age. But certainly if you take him out and even if he, when he's there, do Milan still need someone at the top end of the pitch who's just a bit of like a ruthless goal scorer? Juventus clearly do. That's a conversation I'm sure we'll have about Vlahovic. And certainly for me, having sort of thought more positively about it at the beginning, I am less and less convinced that Giroud, when he's on the pitch for Milan, is, is contributing enough to that attack. I think when he's in there, the, there's not enough gain from having him there. I mean, he's, he's there to do what he did on that one Salamakas cross, which is be a good target for headers. And he's not, he's not getting enough of those or converting enough of those to me to, to justify it. So I, I don't know what is the sort of secret sauce, but I feel like the number nine position, certainly when Ibra's not there, is, is not 
is still not um, quite good enough. Resolved. I mean, it's been, it's been a problem for a while. And listen, we know that Milan, especially at the start of the season and so many matches now for those two years have really performed beautifully. And when they are at full flow and without dealing with absences and all the madness of it, they are beautiful to watch. But it's almost like because of the players that they go for, which are your, you know, Brahim Diaz or Sal Makers, your Castillejos, you know, Messias, they're good players. But perhaps on an individual level, they don't have the star quality that, you know, Brozovic, for example, um, Lautaro Martinez, you know, that those kind of like when you compare them to sort of better teams, right? You you look mm-hmm. at that star quality and and, and sometimes it, it, if the players are not super shiny and well-rested, there is a drop. Like Leao is so good, but he's not consistent enough and he's building and building and progressing, but it's not come as of yet. There isn't a player that I look at and I think to myself, I can guarantee a certain level of performances all the time or that they can score goals, not rubbish, not anyone. And mm-hmm. I wonder whether their transfer market will sort of always keep them fighting, but never enough to go over the line. Does, does that make sense? So is it time to maybe invest in like a big player up front who isn't 12 or 30 or nine, you know, somewhere just, you know, like a nice age. I know it's going to be very expensive, not not necessarily like a Lukaku level. It doesn't have to be like a, a super expensive player, but somewhere that you can just get a little bit more because Giroud Ibrahimovic, it's the very older of the spectrum, right? And you don't want a very young one either. So somewhere like, I don't know, someone at their peak, right? Like What I'm, what I'm black- hearing is... Mina bringing another another candidate into the Vlaovic conversation. That's that's what we need. But they could really do with Vlaovic. I mean, they'd come on, they'd win. Mina and I have been talking a lot about Vlaovic this month because Sky wants to hear about him a lot. They'd win the Scudetto with Vlaovic, let's be honest. Come on. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I think it would be a, a fascinating fit for sure. Um, for sure. I can't see that happening. Actually, it's funny enough, um, one of the things that I chatted to Pioli about a little bit in the interview that didn't make it into the copy for uh, the Guardian website or the Observer because limited word counts and there's always more and more you get to say. He was actually really chatty and really fun interview. Um, but we talked about the sort of the realities of Italian clubs and and how they sort of exist and, and, and fight in, in this era when the Premier League is richer and richer. And, you know, he, he said, because I was asking him how much it sort of weighs on him as a manager, the possibility that this young group that he's got, that people will start getting taken away from him. And there's been a lot of talk about Kessier recently and, 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 and whether or not that he's got some Premier League suitors. And he said, you, you know, you can't think about that stuff. You can't worry about it. You just get on with your job as a coach of, of managing day to day. And, and we got onto the topic of, is it realistic for Italian clubs to sort of aspire to, um, to compete with Premier League clubs and, and, and in European competition when there is such a big difference financially between them. And he's quite sort of bullish on that. You know, he, he, he's very much in the camp of if you run your club well and you um, build a group of, of young players who are all on the same page and, and, and part of something that's like a coherent project that you can do it. But it is very much a vision, I think, in his head of, of that, of, of you, you need to sort of get the players in young and, and work this sort of project together while you get that that big buy-in and that sort of big collective sense of, of, of drive towards something. And yeah, I just think, I think it's an interesting reflection perhaps on, on him as a, an individual as well, because he does have this reputation and we've talked about it before, Mina, when we've talked about Pioli, 
he's a bit of a dad, isn't he? Like he's, he's a bit of yeah. a sort of Syria dad who, who brings people in and, and says the right things in their ear and, and gets the most out of them. Yeah. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, like, like Atalanta don't have a huge transfer budget and they've obviously, you know, like gone all in on players who believe in the project. And yes, Benini is a great teacher, much like Bioli in a different way, obviously. But, you know, he does have a Duvan Zapata. He does have, a, you know, he did have an Illich before. And a, your favorite player, I forgot his name. Can you believe it? Henry Gomez. Yeah, thank you. But, you know, <laughs> I, you know, star quality that makes the difference in the big stages. And like Ibra, Ibra yeah. makes the difference in the big stages. And, you know, I'd just be nice if they had someone like a, 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 a Duvan Zapata. Maybe you're right, Giroud wasn't the right purchase, you know. But I sort of just feel like just that one guy could push them over the edge because I don't see many. I mean, they do get a lot from Revit and Leao, don't get me wrong. It's just not enough sometimes for Champions League or against teams like Juventus or those who shut up shop. That's all. Yeah. I, I think Rebic would have been a better bet than Giroud in this game personally. But actually, funnily enough, it's, I don't know, this came into my head as I finished that last thought. I remember before the interview, I was, I was doing my research to find out because I had this feeling that a lot of players had said, oh, Pioli's like a dad, a dad to me, like a father. And on the players who have definitely said that about him is, drumroll, Dusan Vlahovic. So maybe we're not so <laughs> far off the mark there, Mina. Maybe Vlahovic will want to go be reunited with his football father. Who knows? Okay, guys, you know that Nikki's an Arsenal fan and she's trying to take Vlaovic <laughs> away from me, yeah? Now she's trying to take him away from me for Milan too. Stop <laughs> it! <laughs> yeah, like, please. We are like, come on, we're dying. We're not even making top four. Give me Vlaovic. Oh, God, so Arsenal, but that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> Okay, guys, this is the part of the show where we say hello and a shout out to our new Chronicles to Fossi patrons. Thank you so much for joining Patreon and listening to our exclusive content. We hope you will enjoy it. Uh, we've just started, so watch out for all the exclusive things we hope to bring to you to make this all a great experience. So let's thank a few of the names that have recently joined us. Ben McLeod. Aniruda Nagarajan, I hope I said that right. Paul T. Allen, Michael Burtz, Daniel Rodriguez, Ziad Dalal, Darren Potts, Jared, just Jared. Oh, like Jill. <laughs> Morgan Dirodi, <laughs> Steve Jarvis, Richard Bold, Misak Ulikiak, ben and Ben Woodham, who said, Love your podcast so far. And I'm super excited you've launched Patreon. The content you've got already is pretty cool. Ben, thank you so much. Um, Mina and I did uh, a little mini, mini sode, mini episode each this week. Um, me talking about my interview with Pioli, Mina talking about Dusan Blavich. Um, we're definitely going to bring you some more of that sort of content and where we just have our um, chance to have our sounds things in our heads at that time. I hope you guys enjoy that. If you're one of the patrons, let us know if there's things you, you want to, to hear more from us because because you know yeah. that's we're doing it for you guys, aren't we? So do let us know. For the for everyone else, uh, do join our Patreon if you're so inclined and, and um that that's something you want to do at patreon.com forward slash CityR Chronicles or go to our website at cityrchronicles.com and click on the link that will take you right there. Yes. Also. Jared and Jill, I feel like you two should get together. <laughs> like Madonna I think they can make a surname together. They can pick a surname and, and start fresh. <laughs> this is 
what I mean, right? It's like, you know, Madonna and Cher, like they defined my childhood, you know? And it's like, now we have Jared and Jill and, and they both got with the G's. So it would be like a JG. Um, anyway, I, I've gotten way too excited about this. <laughs> Let's move on and chat about football. Okay, so we've discussed Milan Juve. I think it's now time to discuss Inter Venezia, which was an interesting match. <laughs> Because we know that Inter is what? Far and away the best team in Serie A. We know that Venezia has been having problems and that they've talked about the fact that having a team dressing room with so many different cultures and, and different people there, it becomes much harder sometimes to get your ideas and the interpretation of the tactics for that to be taken on board. And Venezia haven't been doing too well, but Zanetti managed to really shock them. and. Into dominated possession, 72%. But finally, Jacko gets the goal. He hasn't scored since the 4th of December, but he manages to get the winner in this match in the 90th minute to secure all three points and break the hearts of all of Venezia. But lots of things to talk about because Inter were a little bit scared in this match. Inter still dominated in this match. And uh, is Inzaghi now the man when it comes to substitutions? I I just think it's it's really sort of in my head. This one is like a a representation, I suppose, of of the fine margins that can happen in a Serie A season. When you think about on Monday, Milan with that game that they should have won against Spezia. I mean. Again, sort of purely sort of wanted to not make an excuse of it, but as as an outsider, I'll, I'll make it for them that. Milan, in effect, won that game against Betia, right? Like they scored a goal in injury time yeah. that should have stood and, and they would have won 2-1. Instead, it gets this loud and they end up losing 2-1. And then a week later, you have Inter, who I'm not taking anything away from Inter because I think they are the best team in Serie A this season, but they find themselves in a very similar position. It's one all at the end of a game against a team you expect them to beat at home. And, and the difference is they, they do find the winner. and. I, I think it's it's sort of at the end of the season, we write the big overarching narrative and, and talk about the, the big picture. And sometimes we miss how such fine margins can can change everything in a season. But look, um, I think it was uh, an overdue goal for Edin Dzeko because he's, he's playing more than well enough. I think even in this game before the goal, he, he was doing what he does so? so well for them. Yeah, I think, I think he does the work as a pivot. I think he does the work as a pivot for them. And I think without him, their attack looks far less um, functional to me. I think if anything, it wasn't Lautaro's greatest game. No. But I thought I thought Jekko was was doing his job um for the most part. It's funnily enough, he doesn't score as many headers as I think he should for someone who I consider to be quite good in the air, certainly good at winning the ball in the air. But they showed resilience, right? And it was it was not a totally easy position. It was a really nice headed goal from from Henri that, that put Venezia ahead and they 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 dug it out at the end and I think when you sort of keep in mind that Inter were playing in, in the cup in midweek, they had a, an extra time game in the cup in midweek. So they have got that little bit of extra heaviness in their legs. There are games that you get to win emphatically. And there are games where it's just, let's just get the points and get through it. And I think the fact that they got the points and got through it is kind of the only bit that really matters for me with them in this game. It wasn't their best performance, but it didn't matter. They got the three points. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, when we were talking about sort of um, before and I was 
and you said choose your arguments because I was about to go off on one, but it was about like being humble and always working really hard. And and I think that's good, but sometimes I, I do, I mean, there's two sides to every story. Sometimes you need a little bit of arrogance. And Inter maybe were a little bit arrogant in this match in the sense that, you know, they allowed Venezia to basically score the goal. And in their quest to try to sign it, they they weren't as attentive to the defensive um, part of the game as they usually are. And they haven't been that attentive in the last few matches either. And I could say the same for Napoli against Salernitana. Sometimes you look at your opposition and think, what are they really going to do, right? Um, but what I thought was interesting was how... Venezia basically locked it down on a tactical level. They were like, we are just going to shut up shop and it's up to you to find the, the, the ability to pierce through this strong defense. And, yeah. and all of this, I think, is great for Inzaghi because they struggled. And I think that you just saw them sort of circulating the ball left and right, not really knowing, you know, going really wide, trying to find a way through. But they, were, they, they did struggle. And I think it's good to have these lessons. Like I said before, what they have is a horrible February, right? They face some really big matches, the Derby, Liverpool, um, Napoli. So there's there's a lot going on there. And so it's good to face these teams and see what the problems are and try to rectify them. How can we be more unpredictable? How do we pick the lock? Because they do have players who are good on the ball, great players off the ball. The squad depth that you can change Damian for Dumfries to deliver that beautiful crossing for Jekko to make a, a, to take advantage of um and that is one reason why i think Inzaghi is very good in the substitutions is because he's allowed to be very good at the substitutions for what was in to have as well um but he has gotten a lot better than what he started off with but there is that ability where they have to be careful about sometimes dominating possession taking themselves like oh god we have to force it through force it through and then obviously taking your your eye off the game and then allowing the other team to come back and, and shoot a goal and actually, you know, surprise you on that level. But I, I, I don't know. Like there are some. It's interesting with with Inter. I don't know whether playing every three game, every three days, is sort of taken the shine out. And and before I want to focus on that, it just worries me because I'm scared that when they have all of this stuff coming up for them in February, whether it's going to start to dull their shine. And because I was really excited about their performances. And now you've seen them play every three days, you know, with Coppa Italia and stuff. And you could see that there are some defensive mistakes that are happening. Um, they're not all glowing in every single level. I think Varela was very good in this match, but Perisic, like that, and Martinez, I didn't think Deco was that good, personally speaking. But I do wonder about, you know, how that's going to go. But what I do love more than anything is that this is firmly an Inzaghi team now. I mean, it was a, it was a hybrid in the start and slowly Inzaghi started taking over. But there's one thing I remember about when we first went into COVID and went into lockdown. And just before that, we were talking about Lazio and all their last minute goals, right? And Lazio were like challenging for the Scudetto. They were really good that season. And then they died after they came back from lockdown. And it was all about these, and then the Caicedo coming in, who's obviously being linked into now. And just, you know, these last minute goals that they kept getting, it was like, that was so thrilling about it. Uh, Lazio, it was like nil nil or one one, and then they'd find the winner in the last minute. And that is what's happening to now. And now it's the Supercoppa with Alexis Sanchez, it's the equalizer from Ranocchia against Empoli. Um, and now it's Jekko winning all three points against Venezia. So I feel like this is so like the home of Inzaghi, last minute goals, you know? Yeah, I feel like there's a name that you missed off that list that I'm uh, surprised you, you didn't mention in terms of 
the less sort of the less sort of obvious names who've had uh, something to do recently because of course Stefano Sensi oh I was always your favorite ah, uh, scored against Empoli in the Coppa as well and has been sort of an interesting um sort of case actually because he wants to go he wants to, to move and, and and play basically um he feels like it's it's, it's become partly because of just the injury misfortune he's had too much of an uphill struggle to get the playing time he wants right now um but Inter are hesitant to let him go just for the time being because um partly because Korea is injured and also I think there's this sort of ongoing uncertainty about what the um uh, the terms of Barella's European ban is going to be and whether or not they're going to need Sensi against Liverpool. But it's funny you talk about um timing, Mina, because I I'm obsessed with this idea. I always talk about it that in the Champions League timing is everything and the form you're in at different times of the year is what actually matters more than whether or not you're the best team in Europe. And funnily enough, um, maybe it's this is a one of those old knee-jerk reactions of mine. Um, but to me, I was looking this week and thinking, gosh, who's the better football team between Inter and Juventus? No question. Inter are a better football team than Juventus right now. Which of those teams do I think might have its European head screwed on right come February? Not as clear cut to me. I think if Juventus become this frustrating really? team that won't concede a goal, then yeah. you can get through knockout ties by not conceding a goal. Whereas Inter to me, uh, are a step below they've been at their best right now. And they've got a few more weeks to sort that out, but it's it's not that much time now until they go and play Liverpool, who it's a tall order. It's, it's a tough tie. So um, I, I I hope we'll see the best in turn in those games. Obviously, this sort of mini break now is going to be very, very welcome with the international break, but without them playing games. So players will go away and train with the international side so they won't actually play matches. It's definitely a, a a big moment coming up in the season, though, for Inter, because for sure we want to see them give their best against Liverpool and, and, and show how good they can be. And I'm I'm not sure we've seen them at that level for a few weeks now. So, are you worried? Do you think they can? I mean, what do you think genuinely? I mean, we know that Liverpool obviously are favourites, and they they're one of the best Liverpool teams in, in Europe. Favorites. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and their best team in Europe, let alone just England, one of the best teams in Europe by far. Do you think Inter can challenge them? I think if Inter play their best game, they're, they're capable of, of hanging with Liverpool. Yeah, I do, you know that Liverpool are favourites for a reason. Um, but yeah. I think they're a, they're a better team at a different stage of their development. Liverpool have been working and improving under Jurgen Klopp for longer, and they have um, far greater financial resources that have been put into that project. So it's not surprising that they're the favourites. They should be the favourites. But I think that the best football Inter have played this season is a level of football that, that can hang with, I think, most teams in Europe. I and mean, certainly, although the results didn't go their way, I thought they played two excellent games against Real Madrid in terms of the quality of their performance. And I think if you get that into against Liverpool, then, then we have a real tie. I mean, so they still lost himself in trouble. Well, partly because Barella is an idiot, um, which, <laughs> you know, he's a brilliant footballer, but he was an idiot against Madrid. Yeah, you need that and you need the difference with those Real Madrid games, I mean, especially the first game against Real Madrid, meaning the only reason they lost that game is because they didn't convert one of a million chances. And so, yes, you need that performance and you also need Lautaro and, and Dzeko to, to do the business. Anyway, um, let's move on to... Oh, actually, I'm interested to know what you thought of this match because everyone talked about it, obviously, in great detail. Um, 
you know, Inter really had to fight hard and they came out afterwards and said there are no no such thing as easy matches in Serie A, which, you know, Gazetta duly responded to with, of course, we know that, yeah. But apparently all of Juventus should de- defeat every single game, uh, every single opponent with like a 5-0 victory. Otherwise, Allegri is just ridiculously bad. Anyway, that's just my little like angry <laughs> note to sometimes the way the media refer to things. But Lazio Atalanta, we know Atalanta had come into this match with basically like 10 absences. And everyone thought for sure this could be like Lazio's opportunity to really try to score a goal, secure an important win. They have been good in the big matches. Not all of them, let's say, but, you know, some. And this was a great time to face Atalanta when they are not at the best. I mean, when you look at some of the absences here, like I actually want to read some of the names. I mean, these absences, not just from COVID, but also just injuries, everything. Atabur, Gosens, Darun. Coop Miners, Illichich, Malinovsky, Pasolich, Zapata, and Muriel. I mean, and then you and then you have to include Toloi and Maele, um, who had just come back from and, and, and allowed to play. And then obviously they had to bring in um Piccoli, who was forced to start, and then two absolute debuts for Danny Porti and Sidibe. And then they had Scalvini in midfield. And then Lazio re- came out of uh, Saudi afterwards and said, well, we also had our absences and Atalanta had all their best defenders. So this is why we were not capable of actually winning this match. So here are all our alibis. Do you agree with that? Or Lazio should have taken this opportunity? Well, I think it's a great result for Atalanta to go away to, to Lazio with a fraction of a team and, and get a draw and, and a testament to not just Gasparini's um, Squad building, which I think is is always admirable, and we talk about it all the time. But his his ability to adapt because they did play more cautiously. They didn't play all out as we sort of love to see them play. They played in a more sort of measured way, and and they got a result, which I think is is um a bit of a miracle in the circumstances. Honestly, no, I, I think it's not a great result for Lazio. I think Lazio have been uh, a frustrating, perplexing team all through this season. I'm certain that Chile Mobile would have preferred to play against uh, the sort of makeshift defence that, that Atalanta have had at times this season. It's true that they had um, something closer to their, their first choice defence here, but this is, I think, a, a, again, just a testament to the resourcefulness of Atalanta that they could keep getting results while really decimating. I mean, this is the sort of game where you think about the sort of discussions we were having earlier in the season about, earlier in the season, two weeks ago, basically about COVID interruptions and about her team sort of ending up getting told to stay put because of their uh, local health authority and, and really small numbers of absentees. And then suddenly you get this team, which is pushing the boundaries of, of the old sort of original UEFA regulation of, can you get 13 players and a goalkeeper? But they did it and they, and they, yeah, they came up and, and got a point. And I think a point that looks only looks even better now, knowing that Juventus uh, drew with Milan as well. You know, what's interesting is that we all talk about, you know, these congested fixture lists and, and, you know, there was like lots of talk in the Premier League about Arsenal delaying the game against Spurs. And, you know, obviously all of the absences in Italy that delayed some of the matches, such as Bologna against Inter. But you know what I love about Atalanta, which is what you just said, is that they do what they're supposed to do when there's a lot of games, is that they try their youngsters and they give them a chance and they try to see if they can play ball and and what they can do. And And we actually get to be introduced to new talent and look at this new talent like Scalvini, who is a defender, 
but playing in a midfielder. And, and, and Gasparini said, well, you know, he's tall, so I think he can win the aerial battle with Milinkovic Savage. And I think it's just nice that Atalanta do what it's supposed to do when you have so many games and you don't have enough of, uh, you know, the, this beautiful squad that we can all in, invest in and have. Not every team can be an Inter or Juventus or whatever it is, you know. But he does what you're supposed to do, which is give youth a chance, give, their, give them an opportunity to shine. And maybe you might come up and, and find yourself a talent that can be used going forward. But what I loved more than anything is afterwards when he said that defenders play as attackers and attackers play as defenders in training. And I thought, how much fun is that? <laughs> like, I would love to train under Gasparini. And he said, Damral got past and dribbled past three players to score a goal. And I just thought, God, this guy just makes you enjoy football. And for that, yes. Atalanta deserve a top four. But obviously, I'd rather Juventus get that goal. That, 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 important place in the top four position but they're just yeah they're just a team to believe in and Lazio I think I'm sorry but you should have won this match and you complain about every time you play you know a game midweek or whatever it is once again he said oh well we played for 120 minutes it's against Udinese come on dude you know like it's just you didn't play the Super Coppa you didn't anyway I'm just not going to complain anymore about that but it is disappointing Roma managed to thrash Empoli. Should we be surprised? Because, you know, the, tactically, this was a game in which and probably hate the type of team that Roma are. They always get defeated by that type of team. And they were playing at home, and we know they're a bit rubbish at home. Look, Empoli are, 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 are no pushovers. We've talked about them before. They're a team that's got something about them at the moment. I think well, we, there's a few teams, aren't there, that play these 120 minutes in midweek, and they're one of them. And they were playing it against Inter. So I think you can sort of... yeah feel that sort of extra little bit of strain that goes in when you're that close to beating the team that's top of the league perhaps takes that little bit extra out of your legs but it's still a good result for Roma um, it's still encouraging for Roma that uh, Sergio Oliveira has come in and has been an instant impact player really Im- impressive two performances from him perhaps he was something that they were missing and, and, and the leader that Mourinho wanted and I think it's that you've got to be encouraged as Mourinho that this player you've wanted has come in and, and integrated as seamlessly as that and has contributed in the way that you wanted to, to so quickly. On top of which, Tammy Abraham, after sort of having a, a slightly frustrating yeah. middle period, he arrived, he did well, and he had a slightly frustrating middle period where it felt the goal, ball wouldn't go in for him. He's absolutely flying again. And he's, I think, now the first English player since David Platt in the early 90s, I think 92 to uh, reach double figures in Serie A. So he is, whatever else is going on at Roma, I think uh, uh, Tammy Abraham's form and, and progression is, is clear and is, is sort of really great to see actually again. Every time, of course, as someone who is half Italian, half English, every time an English player makes that brave choice, not just to hang around and, and be a reserve on a on a Premier League uh, club, but to do it anywhere else, frankly, but of course a little bit extra for me with Italy. And, and they go out there and they make a, a success of it. I think it's always 
exciting. And I think Tammy right now is, is really uh, taking more and more strides every week. Yeah, I thought it was a, a, a terrific performance from Roma in the sense that it's weird because I had written this um, because sometimes we place bets and forget you as. And I said that I thought Roma would smash Empoli just from a pure tactical point of view. This was always going to be a, a tough match for Empoli. But it is strange with their form recently because they've stopped winning since mid-December. I mean, they haven't won a game in their last seven matches, three draws and four defeats for a team that we had said was doing so well and were really flying. But I, I, I just find it strange how away from home Empoli have lost only three times and at home they've lost eight times. Really rather ridiculous, but we have to talk about Lorenzo Insigne because he's equaled Maradona's goal-scoring record at Napoli. Um, done so by scoring the penalty against Salernitana in their 4-1 win. Impressive from Napoli, considering all of January, they've had so many absences. They've dealt with the African Cup of Nations, obviously suspensions and injuries with Osman, and yet they have managed to collect 10 points. and second place do you think they can still challenge for the title i they're, they're back on a well with milan in that conversation and um in a sense they're sort of would need, need they maybe need milan to do what milan need to do which is uh take some point they need milan to take some points off of inter in the derby uh, which is the first game um back for those for milan and inter after the international pause so they they need they need slips from inter everyone now needs slips from inter inter have a four-point cushion and a game in hand, which is pretty chunky um, now that we're sort of moving into the second half of the season. But I, I think we've we've sort of said it all along with with um, Napoli and Milan that they were going to have this slightly sort of less comfortable uh, middle bit of the season when you've got some players, the Africa Cup of Nations, when um, perhaps some of the sort of uh, less depth in your squad has been highlighted as well. Uh, but I don't think they're out of the title picture. I don't. Um, I think it's it's Inter's to lose, but I don't think it's Inter's in the bag yet. I think Inter still have to go and earn it and Napoli are, are good enough to hang around a while longer. I do want to give a special mention to Insignia because he really is somebody who just loves Napoli as a club and Naples as a city. So and- much he's leaving them. <laughs> well, he doesn't want to, and he's saying that if he scores enough goals, then maybe he gets to leave, to to stay on, and um, oh, otherwise, hopefully, Aurelio Di Laurentiis can sign his unborn son, and then he has a reason to stay in the city, <laughs> which I think was so was so sweet. But just his overall game and everything he gives to that club would be so disappointing to watch. Who did I say, Insigne or Mertens? You said Insigne. Oh, I was talking about Dries Mertens. Did you mean I, Mertens? I was wondering. Yes. Oh, that's why you were saying he's leaving. Sorry. And, and I'm yes. like, right, right. I would never share Do you want to read it? Thought. <laughs> no, I don't. Because you know that I would never share all these moments about Insignia. He doesn't love Napoli this much. Come on, he's leaving. I was just thinking, this is Mina saying such nice things about Insignia. It's so far out of character. I don't know what... Yeah, it really is. <laughs> no, what it's just never going to happen. I'm never going to talk about them in that way. You know? um, this no, is like imagine. that moment in the movie when like, I realise that the body snatches have got you, Mina. I know it's happened <laughs> because either you're saying that you love Insigne or you're saying the event should definitely give Tibala that new contract. Those are my two clues. Those are the ways that I'll find out. 
oh my God. So like, let's just say that I'm being trapped or I have a secret twin. <laughs> evil, Yeah. And you're trying to, oh, I don't know if I'm the evil one, but anyway, and you have to figure out which one is meaner. <laughs> yeah. Then now yeah. you know. <laughs> you yeah, know that's it. Way. That's the answer. Check, check what she says about Dybala and Insignia and you'll have a good idea. Yeah. No, I would never talk about Insignia that way. Mertens, all Dries Mertens. He's the one with the unborn <laughs> fun. He's the one that loves Napoli and Naples. It's Mertens and I hope Mertens stays. <laughs> the, do you see why I, I mean, him and Dybala. And then they said they're talking about how much they love their clubs. One of them is willing to leave. The other's getting an attitude problem if he can't get 10 million. I'm like, look at Dries Mertens, you know, look at Tonali. These are guys who love their clubs. You don't. <laughs> That's it. Okay, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of the episode. But before I do, Nikki, I just want to, Nikki has been trying to tell me for the longest time that it's just not going to happen. Blavich is not going to go to Juventus. <laughs> but he might just be going to Juventus. I don't know Nikki. anymore, Mina. I don't know anymore. What do you think? What, what, do you, what does your gut tell you here? Because it is a U of A versus Arsenal. I uh, am fascinated by the developments in the last few days. Um, it seems like. Uh, Vlavic, who's been stalling and stalling on Arsenal. And look, I, any Arsenal fan is very used to being disappointed in in transfer dealings that drag on like this. There's been summers when Arsenal were linked with Karim Benzema and it was supposed to happen, or, or I can't remember if it was a summer or a January anymore, or window. And then and then at the end, it, it didn't happen. It's a very familiar feeling for Arsenal fans to let someone string us <laughs> along and then, and then their true heart's desire comes out. But what's funny, Mina, is I think before this sort of transfer window, a few months before, if you'd been asking me, I would have said that. I thought Juventus is where he's going to end up. I think it's been the place that a lot of us felt that he wanted to end up from, from what we've heard out of, out of his camp. And I think this sort of offer from Juventus, if there really is an offer from Juventus, because that's what's being speculated. And of course, Fiorentina have been quite clear that they haven't had an offer from anyone. They keep saying, nobody's come to us. You're all talking with the player and his agent. No one's actually showed up at our door yet and, and, and given us the, the sort of concrete offer that we um, will need before he can leave. I think I've gone from being quite sceptical a few weeks ago that he would leave in this transfer window to now thinking on balance, more likely than not that he will leave in this transfer window, which is really? not that much time left, not that much time left to do it. Yes. The reason is that I think that Fiorentina want to get it done. That's the difference. I think that if Fiorentina didn't want to get it done, it wouldn't happen because I don't think he's pushing for it. I think his original thought was to stay there until the end of the season. And it just feels like there's been a shift in the attitude at Fiorentina that perhaps they feel like they just want to resolve this now, make the slightly higher amount of money that you might make now than in, Janu than in the summer. And I feel like this sort of most recent him not being involved in the squad this weekend. I know officially the line was, um, there's been some coronavirus cases in the squad, but to me, it, it just seems very convenient. Um, and I feel like it's, it's setting up for the club to, to make that move. Having said that, it is the club that Vlahovic wants going to make the offer that, that the club wants this, this, um, January, because Arsenal, I think, are the easiest option for the club. I think that Arsenal will probably meet what Fiorentina want. I think financially they would meet what Vlahovic wants. But if the player wants Juventus and is willing to dig his heels in for Juventus, then everything gets a lot more complicated. It gets more complicated because that will make him very unpopular in Florence if he hangs around for another six months. 
Um, but it also gets more complicated for Fiorentina because if Fiorentina have a player who's saying, no, I'm not going to go to Arsenal, well, you can't make him go. And so the leverage gets taken away from them a bit in that situation. And then are they willing to sell to Juventus at a negotiated price? Are they going to dig their heels in and say, no, you've got to pay us this amount? I feel like there was perhaps a point earlier in the season when part of the calculation for Fiorentina was, well, if we keep Vlahovic till the end of the season, he's more likely to get us in there, get us into Europe, maybe even the Champions League, get more revenue that way. Whereas that's slipped away a little bit in the last few weeks. There's just a lot of things that are being weighed up, I think, on, on all sides. Um, but I've said to you, since we did uh, Sky Sports in, in the UK um, a week ago, to me, to me, and everyone can have their own opinion, but that hands up celebration that he did after scoring a week ago, that to me looked like oh, well. preparing himself not to be there again. And, and so I think at least in the player's head, he's ready to go, whether or not it will happen. That depends on, on some other moving pieces. But if you're asking me to call it one way or the other, I think, I'm more, I think it's more likely that he does go. That's not the same as saying it's 100%. It's just saying I think it's the more likely on the balance of probabilities. So here's the thing. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know whether I doubt the move to Juventus because sadly I am a Juventus fan and there is a, a potential in me to always be a bit downhearted in that. You know, you, you, you get like, you get scared of thinking, could this really happen when it's a player you want? And I don't know whether that's actually affecting my overall professional point of view of will he leave right now, you know? I think also Fiorentina are so so desperate for there to be, you know, like a Manchester City that will come on board and maybe Vlaovic might be tempted to go to that, you know. But I think mm-hmm. the problem that we have is not just what Vlaovic wants, but it's also what the agents want. The agents have so much say and so much sway over his final decision and they can seemingly persuade him to do, um, or at least they have a, a relationship strong enough where they can discuss and we know that his entourage and his agents are on great terms with Cherubini, um, who's been in contact with them for so many, many years. I mean, we're talking about from partisan, you know, like a long time ago, Ristich and, and co. And I think that's one of the reasons um, why they were happy to talk to him. I know now that they've agreed personal terms. It's about whether or not Fiorentina and Juventus as two clubs, whether a genuine offer and professional offer has been made to Fiorentina, and as far as we know, that hasn't been made. We know the player himself believes in himself and his ability to drive Juventus into the top four and guarantee the top four position. Um, he believes in himself that he is good enough to do that. Whether or not this will happen, like I tell you, there is a part of me that's just not that sure. Um, but if the entourage is on board, Juventus want 60 million. They don't necessarily want to offer more than that, but they can go to 70 million, which means they won't afford anything in the summer market, but it is a punt they're willing to take because they think he's worth it, but they are going to try to go with 60 because they know the agents are not talking to Fiorentina. They know Vlaovic wants to come. So they have that upper hand. They'd like to offer 6 million in wages. The most they will go to is seven. They, they don't want to give more than that. They're very careful about these things from now on. So. That will be interesting to see whether or not it really does happen. But it seems like those are the two genuine offers that Fiorentina have to deal with. They've obviously brought players in from Piontek to Ikone to try to make up for it, but you can't really make up for, for Dusan Vlaovic. Um, and so, yeah, I guess it remains to be seen what will happen. And um, 
obviously as Juventus fan, I, I really do think he can make the difference. Um, I'm still wondering whether Dybala will be back there trying to get him the ball. <laughs> At least there's a reference point. So will be uh, will be fun to watch. But I think that's that's all we have time for, guys, this week. Um, so we're just uh, we're going to sign off here. Hope you enjoyed it. Next week we have international break, and we shall be discussing all things. Italy, including Balotelli. I mean, what is going on there? But we will be back on Friday with Chronicles Q&A Mailbag Show. Check out our new website, woohoo, at seriachronicles.com and click the link to join our Patreon and become a Chronicles Tifoso. Get access to exclusive podcasts and bonus content. Please get your questions in on Twitter because we love our mailbag show at SeriaCronPod with the hashtag ChroniclesQ&A or email us and send a voice message via website. Ooh, now there's that ability to hear your voice. We're going to give priority to our Chronicles Tifosi members for Q&A questions. Find us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini, at Mina Rizuki, and subscribe to the Seria Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show. Leave us a rating and a review, all positive please. We don't deal with negative very well. We have mental health stuff. Um, on Apple Podcasts (laughs) or wherever you get your podcasts. But please do continue to tune in and we hope you continue to enjoy our show. Thank you all so much. Over and out. Here for you next week. Ciao. (laughs) I want to read negative stuff. per Cassano alla sotto ancora Cassano il sinistro gol al ventesimo Balotelli Mario Balotelli porta in vantaggio l'Italia incredibile come si è alzato Mario Balotelli ma splendido l'assist con il sinistro di Antonio Cassano una coppia che c'è una coppia che funziona Cassano Balotelli la dinamica di Cassano fondamentale in questi primi minuti cerca pochissimo la profondità sta sempre dalle Lascia Balotelli in mezzo ai due avversari, però qui veramente una magia. Vuole servire Chiellini, non lo vede. Bello per Balotelli, è, buona, è, buona. è buonissimo Mario Balotelli, palla sul destra. E incrocio dei pali, incrocio dei pali. 2-0, guardate, sembra una statua. 2-0, al 36esimo, esplode il tipo azzurro. Ci abbassiamo, abbiamo la palla alla profonda tra i due difensori centrali e Boateng, o Boateng qui sulla destra, ecco Guarda qui, posizione regolare. Posizione. Cassano, poi Montolive e Palotelli, protagonista assoluto, il re di questa partita. Finita. Finisce qui, chi lo avrebbe mai detto? Italia in finale, Italia. Questa serata cambia la carriera di Mario Palotelli. La carriera di Mario Palotelli è appena iniziata. Sport Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.